The Seahawks prioritized fixing their defense during the offseason. How much better will they be? Looking at some fan-driven responses, we'll be dishing out some bold predictions for the Seahawks defense in 2023 on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening up north in British Columbia or you're overseas listening from London. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As we draw closer to training camp, we've got some bold defensive predictions coming from you, our valued listeners. We will be dishing out our tight ends and edge rushers for our all-underrated Seahawks squad, and we'll continue our 90-man countdown with number 16 through 13, breaking into the top 15 most important players for the Seahawks in 2023. This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last year, the Seahawks surprised most everyone by making the playoffs with a 9-8 record, but that was in spite of the fact that their defense was not very good for most of the year. They finished 30th defending the run. They were inconsistent rushing the passer. Did have some fun production in the secondary. Tariq Woolen leading the league with six interceptions. Quandre Diggs had a strong finish. But overall, it was a pretty disappointing season on that side of the football. And the front office, Rob, made prioritizing that side of the football a big part of their free agency game plan. They signed Draymond Jones. They brought back Jaron Reed. Julian Love added to the mix. Bobby Wagner's coming back. They did a lot to upgrade on that side of the ball. They also drafted Devin Witherspoon with a fifth overall pick and a couple other intriguing defensive players in this draft class. So as we did yesterday, it's time for some bold predictions for how the Seahawks defense is going to perform. And rather than the two of us dishing out our predictions, we'll have time to do that when we get closer to training camp. But we are going to let our fans chime in, and then we'll have a chance to weigh in on some of these bold predictions. So, Rob, our first one here that is coming courtesy of Max ZG2CI on YouTube. The Seahawks will lead the league in both <coughs> and forced fumbles in 2023. That might seem like that's a pretty bold take, Rob, but it certainly is possible. Last year, in fact, it happened. Yeah, exactly. The The San Francisco 49ers actually led the NFL or tied for the lead in the NFL with interceptions. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they had 20 interceptions a year ago and also had 16 forced fumbles, which led the NFL. So it, it certainly can happen. And if Seattle wants to advance further in the playoffs, then, of course, their sights are going to be set on San Francisco anyways. Um, so I, I, I like the bold prediction. I think that there is the possibility that Seattle actually can pull this off. 
off just because as we talked about there it has been so much of a transition on defense so much new talent on the field obviously Seattle has some ball hawks in the secondary to me what this really comes down to is is Jamal Adams back on the field because if he is then I think that you're going to see the pass rush numbers and forced fumble numbers jump up significantly similar to the impact that a healthy Nick Bosa had in the 49ers a year ago our next bold prediction coming from Greg Beretta tweets, the Seahawks will break the NFL and team record for interceptions in a season. Now, that is beyond bold. That is maybe, I will just say this, Rob, breaking the NFL single season record for interceptions, that is not going to happen because you have to go back to 1961, and I believe it was in the upper 40s. That is not going to happen now. And the reason why I'm saying that, you look at the team's uh, team records for interceptions. The Seahawks, it's actually 35 back in 1984, the heyday of Kenny Easley and company. That was a different era. Even though teams were throwing the ball a lot less, they also turned the ball over a lot more when they threw the ball, which is one of the reasons they didn't want to throw the ball. So it's a different era now. Teams are much better at taking care of the football and like you said, the 49ers tied for the team lead last year with 20 interceptions. you got to get into the mid-30s to be able to even be in contention to break your own team record, let alone the NFL record. So this one is certainly bold. It's beyond bold because this feels like a Joe DiMaggio hit streak type thing where right. I just don't see with the way the NFL is now. I don't see any way that the NFL record or, quite frankly, the Seahawks team record, regardless of their talent in the secondary, the Legion of Boom didn't even threaten that 35 interception mark. I find it hard to believe the Seahawks are going to be anywhere close to making that happen. Our next bold prediction from Golf Loco tweets, Jamal Adams breaks his own sacks record by a DB. Rob, if that happens, that would obviously be a major game changer for Seattle's defense. Yeah, I, we just talked about it. I, I think you think that there is a possibility that if Golf Loco's uh, prediction is true, that Jamal Adams is back on the field healthy, then uh, I, I think that for a full 17-game season, <clears throat> I think it's absolutely a possibility that he would break his own record, the team record, and of course that would be a league record for defensive back with sacks. I think that this is actually a, a bold prediction, but one that is very realistic, just assuming that Jamal Adams is able to return to the field healthy and Seattle employs them as we suspect that they will our next one coming from craig cheers 3219 on youtube boy mafe leads the team with 10 and a half sacks in a breakout year now this would certainly be a bold take because boy mafe only had three sacks last year in his rookie season and he only had 10 pressures he had a pressure rate of six percent last year that is pretty low for a pass rusher. But as I talked about in an earlier episode last week, Boy Mafe didn't get a lot of opportunities. Eight games last year with 10 or fewer pass rushing chances. So he wasn't able to get into a rhythm. I could see him going out and getting five, six, maybe seven sacks, especially if he wins the starting job coming out of training camp and he gets more snaps. Then he absolutely has the talent to be able to rack up sacks in the NFL but it still feels like he's probably a year away from being able to do this. But it's kind of like the Colby Parkinson 12 touchdowns one yesterday. Yes. I don't think it could happen yet at the same time. We have seen crazier things happen in the NFL in a single season. And boy, Mafe certainly has a ton of talent as a pass rusher that is yet to be completely unfolded for the Seahawks. Next one here for Rob from Melting Pot TW tweets. 
they will be top five in run defense after Brian Monet comes back from his knee injury. You know, this is one that I, I struggle with. I, I think that um, it, it certainly is a bold take considering, as you said in the you know lead up to the show, Corbin, Seattle finished 30th in run defense a year ago. And, of course, a big part of that season, Brian Monet was on the field, as was Al Woods, as was, as was Shelby Harris, Quint Jefferson, et cetera, et cetera. Seattle had a pretty formidable defensive line a year ago that is now elsewhere. And so to assume that Seattle is going to be able to make that type of a leap in terms of run defense with a bunch of players that are just kind of getting reacclimated to this, this system in the case of say a Bobby Wagner or a Jaron Reed or completely new to the system. Um, then I, I think it's going to take some time. And again, I, I think that Brian Monet is a really good player. I don't think that he makes that type of impact. I think that Al Woods, frankly, is a better player. And I don't think that Al Woods would make that type of an impact. I have a hard time believing that this one's going to come to fruition, but if it does, then I think that that, again, it's going to be a sign that Seattle is very, very much a legitimate Super Bowl contender, not just a, a playoff contender. And our last one here coming from Nathan K1 on YouTube, three players will finish with at least four interceptions. Now, Rob, that might seem like that is bold, and it has not happened since 2013. So I'll say that right now. It's been a decade since we saw the Super Bowl team. Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, and Byron Maxwell were the three that did it. But it happened in 2011, Thomas, Browner, and Sherman. And then back in 2004, the Seahawks actually had four players on that squad that had at least four interceptions, Hamlin, Lucas, Bulware, and Trufant. And so it has happened. It's not something that happens often, but it's also not the most rare of feats. And Seattle does have Quandre Diggs, Tariq Woolen, Devin Witherspoon. Jamal Adams is capable of getting a few interceptions. Julian Love is capable of getting a few interceptions. Kobe Bryant can. With the players they have in the secondary on this football team, as we talked about last week, the upside, the potential of this group, you got a bunch of guys with ball hawking capabilities. So is it possible? Absolutely. In fact, I actually love this bull prediction, and I would say that it's going to happen this season. So I'm feeling pretty confident with this group, with the turnover capabilities, the talent that they have in that secondary, and I think a better pass rush that's going to coax some rush throws to lead to those turnovers. So we'll see what happens, but that's a bold prediction that I could see definitely happening for the Seahawks in 2023. Coming up next, we're going to continue our all underrated squad. We're going to go to tight end and the edge rushers, two fun position groups as we continue to assemble our underrated squads. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Putting it simply, Bird Dogs make you look and feel good. You won't want to take them off. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dogs shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. Unlike regular shorts, Bird Dogs aren't made of a stiff, restricting cotton, keeping you comfortable year-round. So take my word for it. Whether I'm heading on a tough road game to cover the Seahawks or chilling in my house preparing for a podcast, I'm always sporting Bird Dogs shorts and joggers because they're extremely comfortable. They don't restrict movement while keeping the slim look and the sweat wicking fabric keeps me cool and dry all day long. No matter the elements, I can't recommend bird dogs enough. You'll want to wear them all day, every day. Go to birddogs.com slash locked in NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked in NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, 
Rob Rang, and a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Every day, we're going to continue our training camp preview tomorrow, looking at the depth chart and essential questions for Seattle's talented yet un tapped potential group at the edge position you won't want to miss it hope you'll be joining in let's get to our all underrated squad rob to this point we've done quarterbacks running backs receivers on offense and on defense we've done cornerbacks safeties and linebackers today we've got tight ends a very important position that maybe doesn't get talked about enough especially in seahawks history not a lot of guys with gaudy receiving numbers but certainly there have been some good tight ends on the Seahawks over the years. And then on defense, we've got the edge rushers. There's guys that have the, the flashy sack production, and there's your players that maybe didn't but were invaluable assets up front. Let's start an offense with the tight ends, Rob. And as I mentioned, sure. this is not a group in Seahawks history that is full of stars. In fact, there's maybe one or two big names, and otherwise you get a lot of blue-collar players. But you got to have those kind of players to win football games. The Seahawks have certainly had – a number of guys that were underrated during their franchise history at the tight end position. Oh, a lot of good football players at, at tight end. Just as you said, not a lot of production at, at tight end. Um, if you look at in, in the, the 45 roughly year history of this franchise, there's only been one tight end for the Seahawks that's gone to the Pro Bowl. Jimmy Graham, and he's done it twice. And if you look at the numbers in comparison to Jimmy Graham and his career numbers, as well as in Seattle, to every other tight end in this franchise's history, it's just very clearly Jimmy Graham and everybody else, whether it be in receiving yards, whether it be in receiving touchdowns. So all those Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, who, who just, you know, love to talk smack about Jimmy Graham. I get it. He is not the player that a lot of people thought that he would be. But at the same time, again, the only pro bowler in Seahawks history at the tight end position is Jimmy Graham. There's only been one tight end in Seahawks history that got to double-digit touchdowns. We had that bold prediction in yesterday's show about Kobe Parkinson possibly getting to 12. Well, Jimmy Graham got to 10, um, and that's the highest that we've ever seen a Seahawk tight end. And, and so to me, that's one of the things that we kind of kind of you know, preface this conversation with because the, the names that we're going to mention, I mean, there's a lot of good tight ends out there in history. I grew up watching Mike Tice, you know, of course, who famously became a, an NFL head coach, Minnesota Vikings years later, but that was kind of the, the, the type of tight end that I grew up watching guys that were more of a blocker, sometimes a short area target, but certainly we're going to be taking down, taking off down the seam and scoring 60 yard touchdown kind of things, the way that Jimmy Graham did, um, you know, all those years with the new Orleans saints. So, the, the tight end I'm actually going to feature here is a player that doesn't have probably as many uh, as much notoriety as say maybe a John Carlson or uh, you know Will Disley or some of the other tight ends that have been successful for Seattle in recent years. But if you look at the career receiving yards in Seahawks franchise history, number two on that list is a Tula Mealy. And what's fascinating about that is the fact that Atula Mealy didn't start very many games in his entire career. And he played his eight seasons in the NFL, all with the Seahawks. In his entire career, Corbin, he started 42 career games out of 114. So obviously less than half of his career games. And he lead, he left the NFL with 1,743 receiving yards total. And that's number two in Seahawks history in terms of receiving yards tight end. So again, 
it's not a big list of, of very productive players, but what I remember about Tula Mealy is kind of similar to what we have seen um, recently with maybe a young Kobe Parkinson in that he was an athlete. He was a guy that could make a catch, make people miss, um, and get some, generate some yardage after the catch. He was not the most physical blocker. He was not always the most uh, reliable when it came to kind of situational awareness and things like that. He was a better athlete than he was a football player. That's why he was in and out of the doghouse, why he didn't always start games but in terms of guys who were athletes guys who i think that seahawks history has forgotten a little bit about but in a different situation i think could have been ultra productive especially in today's modern era of football atula mealy to me ranks as the seahawks most underrated tight end yeah he could have stayed healthy too injuries were certainly an issue for him during his time in the nfl but he had a few really good seasons, and that's all you need to stand out among the tight ends for the Seahawks, at least in receiving numbers, because they just haven't had very many guys that have put up big numbers. And that's why my selection, much more recent in Seahawks history, Luke Wilson, who's yep. been in the news recently talking about his decision to retire a couple of years ago and basically saying, I wasn't going to play for this football team because I knew they weren't going to be good. And you've got to love the honesty. And I think that's one of the reasons that he's always been a fan favorite. And obviously the techno Thursday, his involvement in getting that started, just a really fun personality. But between the lines, I think he's a very underrated player. This guy was a key cog in their blocking for Marshawn Lynch all those years ago. And the running backs that they had, had Thomas Rawls, this guy was not the biggest tight end, but he was physical. He played bigger than his weight class. And he also had over 1,300 receiving yards and 11 touchdowns in his career. Now, those aren't like Kelsey-type numbers, nothing close to Jimmy Graham, but those are still really respectable numbers as a receiver in eight NFL seasons. And he played for some of the best teams that the Seahawks have ever had. He was on that Super Bowl team as a rookie in 2013 and contributed. He wasn't on the bench. He blocked. He played quite a few snaps. So I think Luke Wilson is one of those guys that he's popular for what he did off the field and his personality, but he was a very solid tight end for a number of years for the Seahawks. And so I would love to have him on my team because he was a guy that could occasionally stretch the seam too. There was some ability to win downfield, even if he didn't rack up big reception numbers. He had his moments. He also was really good in the clutch. Just remember that NFC championship game, that two point conversion against the green Bay Packers, that ball that I think if the kingdom still exists, the ball would have hit the roof that Russell Wilson threw there. But Luke Wilson is, is my selection. Now let's get to the edge rushers now. And, this is going to be a really interesting exercise because in Seahawks history, they haven't always had those super twitchy edge rushers off the edge. They've gone with some big, strong, bruising fellas off the edge. And I feel like you and I are going to go different directions in this regard. Yeah, when we're talking about two different players, you know, if the edge rushers rather than one player at tight end, then obviously we're going to, you know, kind of have some different combinations here. Um, and, and I did it basically exactly what you just mentioned there, Corbin. I have one player here who was absolutely a sack master and another player who wasn't really known for his sacks, but wound up being one of the better all-around tacklers and uh, just run defenders in, in franchise history. And not a lot of people know about him. Um, whether we're, I'm not sure if we want to start off with, uh, you know, 
um, Michael McCrary or Tony Woods, but those are the two players that I'm going to be kind of talking about here. And similar to the conversation that we just had a moment ago about tight end. To me, when you look at the Seahawks and franchise history, it's very clearly Jimmy Graham and then everybody else. Well, the same thing to me at defensive end. Jacob Green is in the Seahawks ring of honor. Why he is not enshrined in Canton, it just it, it annoys me. I think that if he played like some of the other players we talked about, the Kenny Easleys, the Dave Browns of the world, the Sean Alexanders of the world, frankly, that they should be in Canton. And if they played for a franchise that maybe got a little bit more press during the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, I think that they that they might be in, in the Hall of Fame. Jacob Green has 115 and a half sacks, all of them with, with the Seahawks. And the next closest after that, that was all with the Seahawks is Michael Sinclair at 73 and a half. I mean, 115 and a half to 73 and a half. Again, that just shows the difference in, in, in sacks. I'm going to focus again here, uh, first off, on Michael McCrary. Now, Michael McCrary is one of those players that he started for four years with, or he played for four years with the Seahawks, only had one big season with the Seahawks, his final season, then signed a free agent deal with the Baltimore Ravens. And that's where he wound up exploding for, for two more years of where he had 10 plus sacks, wound up having three over his career, including 13 and a half for the Seahawks in his breakout season, the fourth and final year of his rookie contract. He was a player that was drafted in the middle rounds out of Wake Forest and just kind of gradually became a much better player. We talked about before that the breakout that was predicted for Boye Mafe, right? That he only had a sack and a half a year ago and can he get to 10 this upcoming season? That's basically exactly what Mike McCrary did. He had two and a half sacks combined over his two previous seasons before jumping up to 13 and a half sacks. And everybody talks about like Steve Hutchinson and the poison pill contract. And when he left the Seahawks and it was just a dark day in Seahawks history. I remember being, I don't know, 20 years old when the Seahawks, when, when Michael McCrary left for Baltimore, I thought to myself, like, this is exactly the type of player you want to retain. You've developed this player. He is just peaking right now. Bring him back. And instead, he goes to Baltimore. They wind up winning a Super Bowl, one of the great defenses that you ever, you know, ever saw on the field. Um, Ray Lewis, of course, Ed Reed get so much credit for that. But if you look at the sack numbers, Michael McCrary is an absolutely dominant player there. Um, if you look at complete numbers, Michael McCrary had 71 sacks when he left uh, in, in the NFL. I believe played like 11 years there. And again, four years with the Seahawks. He's not really well known in Seahawks history because he only had the one big season. But Michael McCrary, one of the most underrated pass rushers in league history, in my opinion. If I'm going to switch over just real quick then from the pass rusher expertise that was Michael McCrary to a guy in Tony Woods who didn't have a lot of sacks. Tony Woods wound up with 24 and a half sacks over his career. Only 16 and a half of them in Seattle. But... If you look at defensive linemen and tackles, you got guys like Joe Nash and Cortez Kennedy, and then you've got guys like Tony Woods, number 57. And, and Tony Woods, again, he was he had been asked to play outside linebacker in a 3-4. He was asked to move down and play defensive end um, in, a, in more of a traditional 4-3 lineup. He was 6'4", 280 pounds doing that kind of stuff. He was a Seahawks first round pick out of Pitt all these years ago. And if you, again, if you look at his career numbers, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. 697 career tackles. Corbin, there's so many great pass rushers in Seahawks history. The Jacob Greens, the Patrick Kearneys. Like, for example, Patrick Kearney had one of the most unbelievable single seasons in Seahawks history. Michael Sinclair did the same thing. Both of them were right there among the NFL leaders. Both of them got defensive player of the year votes. And neither of them were close to the 140 
tackles that uh, that Tony Woods put up in his second season in the NFL when he's outside linebacker or the 85 tackles when he was a defensive end a couple of years later. Corbin, Tony Woods doesn't get a lot of credit in, in Seahawks history, but he absolutely should. He was one of the absolute best defensive linemen in Seahawks history, just not one of the great pass rushers. That's why I wanted to kind of mix and match here feature a pass rusher as well as a more of a traditional down defensive lineman yeah but you had two bigger bodies and i decided to go more for the twitch and so i gotta start off rufus porter late 80s our our older seahawk fans are going to remember him vividly he had what a journey he comes into the league from a fcs school and he's a pro bowler as a rookie but not because he's rushing the passer he's a special teams pro bowler and then a couple years later, he gets double-digit sacks. In a three-year span, Rob, he had at least nine and a half sacks in, or three times in a four-year span. And then things faded. He Once he hit a wall, he, he really struggled and ended up in New Orleans and didn't have a strong finish to his career. But for a four-year span, he was as dynamic of an edge rusher as you'd find in the NFL. And I still maintain today, if Rufus Porter was playing in today's game, He's a perennial 15 sack guy. He was that explosive, had those kind of moves off the edge. And he was playing in an era they didn't throw the ball a lot. If he was playing today and he had all the chances to go after quarterbacks, he'd be getting 15 to $20 million a year. He'd be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And so I thought he was a really good player. And his story's great, being a guy that comes up as a special teams ace then eventually becomes one of the best pass rushers in the NFC. And then more recently, Chris Clemens, and I know Seahawks fans loved Clemens during his time, but he was just not viewed as one of the better pass rushers nationally. He didn't get the recognition that he deserved. He was a journeyman that had played for a bunch of different teams. And Pete Carroll said, I want to bring him in. I want that veteran presence. He's an underrated run defender. He can get after the quarterback, high motor guy, high character player. We got all these young guys we're bringing in. We need a few veteran leaders that can help bring those guys up. Chris Clemens was one of the key ingredients to getting that football team to where they could win a Super Bowl. And oh, by the way, he had three straight years with 11 or more sacks. So he was extremely productive and yet didn't make a single Pro Bowl in any of those three seasons. And so that to me is a travesty. In terms of a three-year span, he was as good as any pass rusher the Seahawks have had. And the impact that he had off the field mentoring these players cannot be understated. So I, I would be fired up to have Rufus Porter and Chris Clemens as my two edge rushers coming sure. off the edge. And Clemens was an underrated run defender, so I'm feeling confident in his ability to do that as well for my all-underrated squad. When we come back, we're going to continue our 90-man countdown. We've got numbers 16 through 13. We'll get to those here in a moment here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. When I was a site manager, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions to land top candidates, and they made the process easy and seamless. All you have to do is create your job post and then Add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. 
LinkedIn Jobs helps you find quality candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For everydayers out there, we're going to be talking edge rushers on tomorrow's show with the essential question, depth charts, wild cards, you name it. Going to be a really fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our 90-man countdown, Robin. We are going to start this latest segment at number 16. He has yet to play a snap in the NFL, but the Seahawks have incredibly high hopes for their number five overall pick. Devin Witherspoon expected to start opposite of Tariq Woolen and what they hope is going to it's going to emerge as one of the best young cornerback groups in the entire NFL. Yeah, they, they certainly are hoping so. And everything that I've seen, Corbin, on tape, everybody I've talked to in terms of college scouts, in terms of, uh, or excuse me, NFL scouts, college coaches, everybody just raves about Devin Witherspoon. And we've been talking about this so many times, but you know, you just watch this young man and he just plays a different, more instinctive and physical brand of football than just about any corner I've seen coming out of college. And that, that's so unusual for a guy who didn't grow up playing as we talked about, Devin Witherspoon grew up playing basketball, and that's what he focused so much of his attention on early on in his life. And then, and that's why he basically fell through the recruiting cracks and wound up at Illinois. Levy Smith, the former NFL head coach, recognized what a talent he was, and immediately he gets himself onto the football field. And so I think I, I mentioned all those things because it's not just a good player, it's not just a good athlete or a size speed package or whatever that you want to match up against somebody like a Tariq Woolen. Because quarterbacks have done their homework over the offseason. They're going to pick on Tariq Woolen, but they also are going to see that Tariq Woolen's a pretty talented guy. Let's focus in on the other direction. And so if you are going to have a cornerback opposite a dynamic playmaker like a Tariq Woolen, that's got to be a mentally strong player. And that's what, to me, makes it so fascinating. I think that Devin Witherspoon is exactly the type of player. I think that this could be the cornerback duo that is going to kind of bring back those memories of the Legion of Boom or, or all of those great defensive backs that the Seahawks have had such great fortune of having over all of these years. But until we actually see it, then I think that we do have to list Devin Witherspoon way up here, like a number 16, rather the top 10 importance to the Seahawks franchise that I think that he is going to prove himself to be as a rookie. I think he absolutely has that mindset that is going to be needed as that corner opposite of Tariq Woolen. You just read about how he became upset if he was not defending the other team's best receiver. If they were in slot, you better put me in the slot. I want to be defending the best player there. And they're not going to beat me. You look at the numbers last year. A completion rate against him under 36%. A passer rating under 25 Like, those are numbers that I had to do triple takes on. Like, there's no way. That's got to be a typo in today's college football. But no, that's the type of corner that we're talking about. And there are so many things that jump out with Devin Witherspoon. The physicality was the first thing I noticed on film. But then the more that I watched, really what I'm most excited about, and you don't necessarily see it with the interception numbers, but – his ball skills are exquisite. I know that he doesn't have the interception numbers, but some of it is just because teams just decided, you know what, we are going to throw to the other side. We are not touching Witherspoon Island over here. We're just, we're just not going to test him. And he led the country in pass breakups. He had 14 of them last year. So it's not like he wasn't getting his hands on the football. 
he had a couple interceptions against Purdue that I think should have counted, and they called some really ticky-tack penalties on him. So this guy has the ability to be a five, six, seven interception in a season type player. He's got those kind of ball skills. You go with the physicality, the instincts. He's just naturally an instinctive player. Hasn't played a ton of football, but you can't tell with the way he plays the game. He just has that it factor. So there's a lot to be excited about, but as you said, we got to see how it translates to an NFL field before we can anoint him as a top 10 player. Next on our list at number 15, I talked about it on our show yesterday. I think Damian Lewis is an incredibly important piece for the Seattle Seahawks now and in the future because he is the elder statesman, mid-20s. He's not an old guy by any means, but now going into his fourth season and Rob, I think he had a very underrated season a year ago. He gave up three sacks, 19 pressures, probably was their best run blocker on the entire offensive line. He's cut down in his penalties the last couple of years, and he was a top 12 graded guard in both run blocking and pass protection from pro football focus. There were certainly some games where I didn't think he was quite as good as others, but much more consistent than his injury marred sophomore season. And this still feels like a player that's ascending. And oh, by the way, he's got plenty of motivation going into this year, going into free agency next March. He's looking to get that big payday that the Seahawks have not given to a guard for several seasons. Yeah, you just took the words right out of my mouth right there, Corbin. Is that, uh, you know, if you enter free agency as a four-year starter, experience at both guard positions as well as center, the way that Damian Lewis has, and you are viewed as, I think that you are correctly portrayed him, as kind of still an ascending player, then you're very likely to get paid. And, and that's one of the reasons why I made the argument yesterday that I think the Seahawks are going to want to resign Damian Lewis. I, I think that they, if they do want to, then they better get on it. Because, uh, you know, otherwise, I, I think that this is a candidate that is going to price himself out of their market. Seattle has not invested a lot of money in the interior or the offensive line in the past. I think that they absolutely should with Damian Lewis. I just don't know that they will. So to me, it's going to be a fascinating one. I, I Again, one of the things that you mentioned there is that Damian Lewis was arguably Seattle's best offensive lineman a year ago. I don't think there's any argument to it. I think that he was absolutely Seattle's best offensive lineman a year ago. I don't think that he was flashy. I don't think we're talking about a, a pro, uh, all pro caliber player, maybe a pro bowler you know, in a, in a good year. But I think that he is that type of a player. I don't think that he's an elite player. But as we talked about before with Michael McCrary, the edge rusher that I kind of, you know, complained that the Seahawks allowed to leave via free agency years ago. When you have an ascending kind of homegrown player, McCrary went to college at Wake Forest and Damian Lewis, of course, at LSU. Neither of them are truly homegrown. But I just mean that you draft them, they get into your starting lineup and they continue to show improvement. Then those are the players that you want to build around. Yeah. And the elder statesman, the leadership element that you talked about before, I think is critical, especially the youth that you have at left tackle. You know, obviously right next to Damian Lewis and at the center position, potentially, whether it be uh, Oluwatimi or be Brown, it's going to be a new start, a new center there. So I think that Damian Lewis is he's as it's in, as important of a position, as important of a year as it possibly could be for him and Seattle's offensive line. Let's get to one of the more polarizing players on Seattle's roster coming in at number 14 in our countdown, an incredibly talented pass rusher. And we have seen spurts of five or six games where he has been as dominant as any edge rusher in the NFL. And then there have been three or four game instances where 
he just disappears. And that would be Daryl Taylor. I still think that the ceiling is there for this kid to be a 13, 14, 15 sack caliber player. He had nine and a half sacks last year, even though he played fewer snaps than he did this season before when he got six and a half. This guy is an incredibly talented, explosive rusher off the edge. He's got great bend at the top of his rush. There are some really good counter moves he's developed. There's a lot to like about him, and he can force fumbles, four of them last year. He knows how to create turnovers when he gets to the quarterback. But the big issues, one, the inconsistency that we've seen rushing the passer, having games where he just goes kind of AWOL. And then two, where's the run defense? That's really the biggest issue here because what's holding back the snap opportunities for him to get 13, 14, 15 sacks, the Seahawks took him out of the starting lineup at the three games last year because teams were at will running the football to his direction and taking advantage of the fact that he wasn't holding up firm at the edge. He was guessing too often with his gaps and leaving tackles on the field as well. So that is really where this kid has got to blossom. He has got to find a way to be a respectable, competent run defender so that the Seahawks can keep him on the field for more than just situational pass rushing opportunities. If he can do that, then the sky is the limit as a pass rusher. But he's got to give him a fighting chance by giving himself more snaps. I think he will this year. I, I really do. And the reason why is I think that he's going to have the same the same thing as we talked about a moment ago with Damian Lewis, is there is going to be a motivating factor with Daryl Taylor now entering the final year of his respective deal this upcoming season. And so I, you know, when, when the Seattle draft, as I mentioned a moment ago, when I started talking to, to people about Devin Witherspoon, going back and talking to some of the college coaches and some of the scouts that go through Champaign, Illinois, and all, all that, um, everybody to a man was excited about Devin Witherspoon, uh, to a woman, actually, because some of the people talked. But it, it, the point is, when I talk to people about Daryl Taylor, uh, you know, people who were huge Tennessee fans and things like that, they they kind of were a little bit hesitant. There was a little bit more like, well, he's going to frustrate you. He, there, there's going to be peaks and valleys with him. And of course, as you just said, that's exactly what it's been with Daryl Taylor. But I do remember the Daryl Taylor, his senior season at Tennessee, going to Mobile, Alabama, which he wasn't able to play there, but he was able to kind of meet with people and 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 you were able to see his dynamic athleticism really on display his final year. That's the reason why, obviously, the Seahawks made that selection. I really think that Daryl Taylor is one of those kind of guys that's just wired a little differently, and I think he's going to have the best season of his NFL career this season right now for the Seahawks this upcoming year. And I think that he's going to at least get to that nine and a half sacks. I think he's going to at least get to four sacks or four forced fumbles. I think he's going to be Seattle's team leader in sacks and forced fumbles this season. I just don't know that he has been consistent enough to ju to justify the big kind of contract I think that he's going to want. I think that you articulated his strengths very, very well. His initial burst, his bend around the edge. There's just so damn many times he sells out with that speed rush outside. And then, as you said, he either is unable to pin himself back inside and be able to offer anything in, in run support or again he goes so far outside that there's just this huge rushing lane there he's got to develop some counter moves he's got to develop better awareness of the football around him and because Seattle has a defensive ends around them that they're going to basically eat up his playing time if he doesn't do it right now and again that's all the more reason why I think that you're going to see a fitter more focused Daryl Taylor in 2023. Wrapping up our 2020 NFL draft tour this will be the third straight player from that draft class here on our countdown 
This is the one with the most uncertainty, and it's because Jordan Brooks is coming back from a severe injury. He looks to be a well ahead, well ahead of schedule with some of the workout videos that I've seen. You got to remember, he had his surgery to repair a torn ACL in mid-January, so he is still somewhat early in that recovery process, and yet it looks like it is a realistic possibility that Jordan Brooks could be on the field at some point early in training camp active. And I don't think anybody envisioned that was going to happen. This is an Adrian Peterson type recovery. Now the Seahawks can only hope that the production on the field is like Adrian Peterson had coming back from his torn ACL rushing for over 2000 yards. Can you have another big season from Brooks? And you want to talk about motivation. The Seahawks declined his fifth year option. So he is going to be a free agent next March as well. And before that injury, the tackles were there, 148 tackles last year. He has been a tackle machine ever since the Seahawks brought him in as a first-round pick out of Texas Tech. What I want to see, I want to see more impact plays from this kid. He had one sack. He has yet to have an interception in his career, only a couple pass breakups, one forced fumble. He's been a very good run defender for the most part. He missed more tackles last year than what he typically has. But This guy has typically been a very reliable tackler against the run. He's filled his gaps well. Rob, I want to see the impact plays. Can they find a way to get another blitz or two that leads to a sack? Can they get an interception? Can he get a few more pass breakups? Can he get in the backfield for a few more tackles for loss? We didn't see very many of those last year. The year before, he had 10. Last season, those splashy plays just weren't there. So I didn't think he was quite as good as he was in his second season. And now he's coming back from a significant injury. So there's no question that there's a bunch of question marks here, but he's also going to have that motivation. Hey, I've got another contract to play for here. Get healthy, go out and have a big season. And certainly that would help the Seahawks defense all the way around. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, You know, you you covered a lot of what I wanted to say there about Jordan Brooks as well. I'll just say that I think that it was predictable that Jordan Brooks would have a little bit of a a drop off last year just because he was the guy now wearing the green dot. And and he just didn't play as fast as he did before. Before it looked like he was playing free and loose because I don't know that he had the responsibilities that he had this past season. Um, So I would agree that, um, that he just needs to have more impact plays to justify Seattle. Uh, if they were going to give him that fifth year deal, fifth year of that contract, or if they're going to try to bring him back, I worry that he's going to be so anxious to try to earn that big contract that he's going to come back too soon and may wind up ruining this season. So I hope I, I, my fingers are crossed, obviously that he's healthy and is able to kind of compete in training camp. My biggest thing is I want him to be ready to go in the regular season. And so to me, if, if we don't see Jordan Brooks on the field until mid season, but when he actually is there, he looks like the real Jordan Brooks, not a hobbled version of him. Then I think the Seahawks fans and the Seahawks franchise are going to be a lot happier in the long run. Real quick before we sign off, I just I just want to take a moment here. Those of you that have been following the podcast since even before it became locked on Seahawks back when we had the Seahawk Maven podcast and even uh, the Legion of 12 radio podcast. Many of you may remember all the film breakdowns that I used to do. I still do some film studies for all Seahawks, but you remember, remember all those film studies that I put out. And over the years, uh, I have had a partner that has helped me with studying those film breakdowns, uh, my kitty cat. Peyton and unfortunately uh, passed away today. So uh, I just wanted to say that we're commemorating this episode to him and uh, he was a diehard film viewer over the years. And so just want to make sure that we get that here for today's show. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Ring. 
subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be getting back to our training camp preview, looking at Seattle's edge rushing group, the essential questions, wild cards, and much more. You won't want to miss it. And thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.